All right, so what we want to do uh, now is just jump right into our teaching series that we started a couple weeks ago, um, How to Survive in an Upside-Down World. We've already established that according to God's Word, um, if you're a student of this, now some of you are brand new to church and you don't realize how upside-down we are in this world according to God's Word. So um, you, I'm, the challenge for you this year in 2023 is to start reading uh, God's Word on a daily basis so that you are aware of how upside down that uh, this world that we find ourselves in, where wrong is right and right is wrong. And the more that you get into God's Word and that call, that Jesus' call for you to actually follow Jesus... This is why if you're newer uh, to church, if you're newer in your faith, I challenge you to start reading in the New Testament and in the Gospels. Why? Because they, the Gospels give you a very clear picture of how to live your life. It's Jesus living his life and we're called to live our life like that. And when we start living our life like Jesus lived his life, you realize, oh my goodness, this culture that we're in, this world that we're in, it is totally upside down compared to the kingdom of God, compared to the way that Jesus calls us to live our life. And we're, the way that we are jumping into this is through a, a, a book in the Old Testament from Daniel. So take your Bibles, go to Daniel. Today we're in chapter 3. And as we look in Daniel chapter 3, we're not going to actually talk about Daniel today. We're going to talk about his three buddies, three um, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Um, these three other Hebrew uh, young adults is where we find them now. They're probably in their 20s. And from these young adults in their 20s, what we are going to see, again, this idea of how to thrive, not just survive, in an upside-down world. And here's how they're going to model this to us. Here's what we're going to see. Obedience over security. That's a hard one. But here's three young adults in their 20s modeling to us how to choose obedience over the security in our life. Now, just stop and think about that. Think about how many times we, we have this flipped. Think about how many times we put our security over obedience. Because we have to protect our image. And think about it coming from some young adults. Think about this. that I mean, you think about how our security, we want to protect the image that we portray... Right. And so we only post certain things on our Instagram, don't we? We only want to see we only want people to see the good side. Why? Because we have an image to secure. We want people to think that we've got it all together. Right. And so what they're going to do is they're going to choose obedience over the security of their image. They're going to choose obedience over the security of a job. See, this is where we get it wrong sometimes, don't we? Don't we sometimes put our career first over following Jesus? Don't sometimes we make decisions because it's going to be better for our career other than leaning into the call that God has on our life? Sometimes we do this and we will choose the security of our job over choosing to obey. We'll choose the security of a relationship 
Because we think that we have to have this relationship or be in a relationship. And we'll choose the security of that over a clear call of obedience to Jesus. And I'm talking to Christ followers. I'm talking to those of you who say, oh yes, I've committed my life to Jesus. I believe that Jesus is my Savior. And yet, you are choosing that relationship over the clear call of obedience to Jesus. These three young adults are choosing obedience over security. Here's another thing that we're going to see. We're going to see that they had a confidence in God over knowing an outcome. Now, we all can learn from this. That, that our confidence in God... Not knowing what, is, what the outcome is going to be. So many times we are so focused on the outcome and trying to make the outcome that we want to have happen that we lose confidence in God. We're like, God, we got this. Instead of, God, you got this. And I'm trusting you every step of the way. So let's jump in to verse number one of chapter three and let's see how these things come out. In verse number one of chapter three, King Nebuchadnezzar made a gold statue 90 feet tall and nine feet wide and set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Now, we're reading this and we're thinking, man, what an egomaniac, right? Uh, The dude is setting up a 90 foot tall statue, which, by the way, if you've been following in Daniel, does this like ring, uh, you know, set any alarms off like we just had this dream about this big statue. We saw that in chapter 2. Now, is he trying to follow up on something that he had this dream about? Did this give him this idea? We have no idea. But what we do know is one day he woke up and he decided to build this 90-foot statue. Now, think about that in ancient history, how hard that would have been. But that's how determined he was. And if you're having trouble you know, thinking about how high is 90 feet, how many of you have ever driven by on your way to the beach, right? You know what this is, right? The towers down on your way to Narragansett, um, uh, right there at 138 and Route 1. Um, that, which, by the way, has a whole history. I bet you didn't know that. Hannah Robinson, this is the history behind that tower. I won't go there now, but that's only 40 feet tall. Now, double that plus some, and that's the statue that King Nebuchadnezzar set up and then overlaid it with gold and was trying to call everybody to worship and bow before it. Here we go. And then, oh, I wanted to say this. Some of us think, some of us think that that guy, that King Nebuchadnezzar, setting up something like that is crazy. But don't we do that in the way that we present ourselves on social media? Don't we do that in the way that we pursue that career that we have to have? That, so that we can have that finance, you know, that we're chasing the money. We're chasing the, the, the prestige that comes with that position, the power, the influence. We have our own 90-foot statues. They just don't look the same. They look a little bit different to us. So don't think that you can't find yourself in this story. We all can. And we have to guard against this. Back in the text in verse 2. Then uh, King Nebuchadnezzar, he sent this message to the high officers and the officials and the governors and advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, all the provincial uh, uh, officials to come to dedication of the statue that he had set up, this 90-foot statue. He wants everybody there. So all these officials came. They stood before the, uh, the statue that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And here's what he did. Um, he had a herald, this guy that would proclaim. And here's what, here's what the proclamation was. 
people of all races and nations and language, listen to the king's command. When you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, the pipes and other musical instruments, bow to the ground to worship King Nebuchadnezzar's gold statue. So there's this call to worship. There's this call to worship this statue that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up or else or else anyone who refuses to obey will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. So all the musical instruments sound off and here goes everybody bowing down. Why? Because they wanted the security of their life, of their job, their positions, but not everyone. Not everyone bowed down. And the astrologers, it's what, it's a slide down to verse number eight. But some of the astrologers went to the king and informed on the Jews. Don't you love that? They're like, they're, they're like ratting them out, man. They're, they're just tattletales. They're just telling on them. They're like, king, you know what? There are some Jews, in fact, not just some Jews. I'm going to give you their names and their addresses because you know them. But there are some Jews, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, whom you have put in charge of the province of Babylon. They're like our bosses. These people are our boss, but we're going to tell on them because what they're not they're paying no attention to you, your majesty. They refuse to serve your gods and don't worship the gold statue that you have set up. Now why? Why would that be in them? Here's these three young adults who have purposed or determined in their heart that this isn't going to happen. That they don't care about the pressure. They don't care about the security of their position. Because they had position. That it was instilled in them. That from the very beginning. That there's only one God. The Shema. This was in a Hebrew boy. Instilled in, a, in the Jewish people. And in that Shema. It was about one God. Yahweh. And I'm going to love that God with all my heart. All my soul. All my strength. And I'm not going to worship, create any images or idols of any God. It's going to be that, and that will be the only God. And that is what these three young adults are holding on to. And that's why they're not bowing. How do you do when the pressure is on to bow? Well, the king, they get brought before the king. And the king is irate with them. And he's like, I'm going to give you one more chance. I will give you one more chance to bow down and worship the statue that I have made. And when you hear the sound of the musical instruments, but if you refuse, you'll be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace. And he makes this statement. Will you lean into this? Will you see? Look, look at his pride, his ego. He says, and what God will be able to rescue you from my power? He really thinks he really is in control. He really thinks that he's the one that's calling all the shots. That he has the final say. And some Christ followers, some of you are discouraged this morning. And you're asking the same question. It just looks a little bit different. You're discouraged because you're so far down in the hole. You're so far upside down in the crisis. You're wondering, God, where are you? How could you even rescue me from this mess? 
And I want to encourage you this morning to keep on looking. And don't give up. Because here's what I can promise you. That in, in this upside down world, whatever's going on in your life, whatever crisis you are facing, I promise you that God is there. There's this principle in Scripture that these three young adults are holding on to. It's found in the Old Testament. It's found in the New Testament. In in, in the Old Testament, in Isaiah, in 46 and verse number 4, God says, I will be your God throughout your lifetime. So whether your lifetime is only 30 or if it's 50 or if it's 85 or 95, he promises to be your God throughout your entire lifetime if you have placed your faith and trust in him. And until your hair is white with age, he's promised to be your God. He says, I made you. Listen, will you hear that this morning? That God says, I have made you. You are valuable. There is value in life. This is why um, as a, as a Christ following church, we hold on to the principle and the value of life. We value life. All life. Life that hasn't been born yet. We value life. Because God values life. Because He has a plan and a purpose for each one of us. And He says, I made you and I will care for you. And I will carry you along and save you. Even if you get thrown into the fiery furnace. Even if you lose the job, even if your finances go bankrupt, even if you lose the relationship, God says, I'll carry you along and I'll save you. Here's the way the Apostle Paul put it in the New Testament. The Apostle Paul at the end of his life, when he's on death row, he says, the Lord stood with me and he gave me strength. Strength for what? Strength so I can live out my purpose. Strength that I might preach the good news in its entirety for all the Gentiles to hear. That's what God's heart is for every person to be able to hear. He wants to use you and your life and the way that you go through circumstances. He wants to use that and He wants to point it. He wants you to give Him honor. He wants you to point people back to Him and let, to let them know that He cares for them. And it's about how you are responding in your circumstance. And he rescued, Paul says, he rescued me from certain death. I mean, Paul, he was shipwrecked. Paul got stoned, and I don't mean kind of stoned. I don't mean that kind of stone. I mean the kind of stone where they take rocks and they throw them at you. He got that kind of stoned. And each time he would get up. He's like, God's got a plan for me. And he'd go back to the city, or he'd go back to those people, and he'd say, God loves you. (laughs) He died for you. He even said this. He said, Paul, the Apostle Paul says, Yes, the Lord will deliver me from every evil attack and will bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. All glory to God forever and ever. Amen. Even though his life may be snuffed out, even though he may have a brush with death, 
he knows that in the end, God still wins. And this is what we need to hold on to. Confidence in God over knowing the outcome. I don't know how much worse it's going to get for you. And I cannot stand here and promise you it's not going to get worse. And I certainly can't stand here and tell you that our world's not going to get worse. But what I can stand here and tell you is this truth. Is that God will certainly deliver you into his heavenly kingdom. Because even though our lives might be snuffed out, here we'll live forever with him. Back in our text, this is the realization for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king when, about this whole thing about bowing down to the worship. They said, oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. I want you to notice their, their, their gentleness in this. They weren't like all in your face. They weren't, they weren't disrespectful to him. In fact, they'll call him your majesty in just a second. They'll say, if, if we are thrown into the blazing furnace... The God whom we serve is able to save us. This is, their secu- this is the idea of obedience over security. This is, um, here we're seeing them actually live this out. Uh, the God whom we serve is able to save us. They know that God can. And then it says, He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. Do you sense the the sense of respectfulness that they have? But yet a boldness, a confidence in who God is. The next verse, but even if he doesn't, even if God doesn't deliver us from the fiery furnace, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue that you have set up. We're never going to do that. Even if he doesn't. Is your faith, is your confidence in God not knowing the outcome? Do you have that kind of boldness, that kind of courage, that kind of confidence in who God is, even though you may find yourself bound and thrown into the fiery furnace? Now, I don't know. Again, I don't know your fiery furnace. I know some of your fiery furnaces. Some of you have asked us to pray with you. And we're praying for you as, as you go through that. And I don't know what kind of decision you have to make. Because God is calling you to obedience over security. And some of you may be facing a decision as a student in school. Uh, maybe you're looking at a relationship and you know that you need to choose obedience over the security of the relationship. Or you need to choose obedience over the security of your job. But that's exactly what one of our partners, um, and I want you to hear um, her story. In fact, she, held, uh, she leads, she oversees the global outreach team. Her name is Kitty Holt. Um, take a listen to her story. Hi, my name is Kitty. Um, I did not get thrown into a fiery furnace, but I did have a difficult decision to make recently that I wanted to share with you. Um, It is about abortion, so I just want to say from the very beginning, um, if you have had an abortion, there's no judgment against you in any way, so I just want to make that clear. So I became pro-life in, I used to be pro-choice, I became pro-life in 1996 when I was pregnant with my first child and I saw the ultrasound and saw that this was not some random blob of tissues, this was an actual human being. 
And I became more pro-life in uh, 2004 when I became a Christian and started reading the Bible and saw that um, we are fearfully and wonderfully made. God has knit us together in our mother's womb. God is, God is very pro-life. So I became very pro-life. Um, I had been at the same organization 29 years. Um, I had a good salary. The benefits were amazing. I loved all my former co-workers. Um, and unfortunately, about three years ago, the organization started moving in a different direction and they became what's called a girls' rights organization. Girls' rights are very important. Girls need the right to an education and to go to school and so on. But they were really focusing on a girl's right to have an abortion and a woman's right to have an abortion. And the way they were writing the materials, it wasn't, it was, it, it made it sound like every single person in the organization believed that. So I went to the communications people and I said, you know, we've been on this uh, journey of diversity, equity, and inclusion over the past few years. And I have a very diverse point of view. I happen to be pro-life with no judgment if you feel otherwise. So I'm wondering if there's any way we can write these materials that make it sound like it's not coming from every single employee in the organization so that not every every employee believes this and they said no these are the values of the organization that's what they are period so I got very sad um, I had been there 29 years everything was going well but I knew I couldn't stay because I knew I knew where God's God's heart was and it went uh, what they were doing went against my convictions at work and I just couldn't stay so I started looking for another job um, a lot of doors got closed, but one day an email came in my inbox from an organization I followed for years, and I loved this organization, and the ad sounded absolutely like they had written it for me. Um, I didn't apply for a few weeks because the salary was much lower than I made, but finally I said, you know what, what's the worst that can happen? So I applied. The next day I got called for an interview, and in the interview they asked, why do you want to leave your current job? You've been there so long. And I said, I'm just going to be completely honest with you. And I said, I am pro-life, my organization is not, but they're making it sound like that, that I am not pro-life, the way that materials are being written. And the, the clash there just doesn't work for me. I'm not sleeping at night, it just goes against my conscience. And I said, imagine if you were pro-choice, which you very well might be, and your organization became pro-life and started promoting that and made it sound like that was your belief as well, you would have an issue with that. And they said, yes, we would actually. Uh, so I ended up getting hired. I had to let my um, former, you know, co-workers know why I was leaving. And when I told my boss, he was just blown away. He said, I, I don't agree with you at all, but I really admire your integrity that you would take a stand on your values and you would actually leave a job you've been at for almost 30 years because of your convictions. He said, I just completely admire that. When I went to HR, they were trying to see what they could do to save me. And I said, honestly, you could double my salary, but I'm, I can't stay here anymore. And they were like, whoa. So someone else came up to me afterwards and they said, um, I am pro-life too. And I'm struggling with the way this organization is going. And I didn't know what to do. And look what you've done. You've acted on your convictions and you're actually leaving. And now what am I going to do? And I said, I don't know what you're going to do. Oh. So I so I've started my new job and I just want to say uh, I love this job so much. I am so happy that I listened to my convictions and listened to what I felt God wanted me to do. And I'm just so happy that I left. So if you're struggling with a situation where you know what God's heart is and you you're convicted that you need to follow that, 
you need to do that. It's going to be very hard. It was hard, um, but there's always a blessing in the end. Um, so we, I, I will say I love this new job. I still get together with my former coworkers. We got together the other night. Um, we're texting each other all the time. So it was nothing against them and their beliefs. It was about what was being imposed on me by the organization. Um, I also just want to say if you have had an abortion um, and you, you haven't sought help for that and you're feeling guilty about it, um, you can reach out to HarmonyFriends.org. It's an organization in Rhode Island, and they will help you. Thank you. So that's her story about where she had to make a hard decision. And let me again just say, if you are here with us, if you're joining with us online and, um, or if you're at South County and you are struggling uh, through an abortion or you're considering that, we would encourage you to go and uh, check out that resource, Harmony, um, right here in Rhode Island. They have helped so many women and husbands walk through uh, that uh, whole process, and they'd love to do that uh, with you. But, you know, yours may not be. You may have some other type of fiery furnace that you're facing. And here's what we want to encourage you, what we want to remind you, that God promises to walk with you through it. That's what he promises you. Now, you may not end up in some happy job that you love. One thing that Kitty's told me on the phone this week was how she just loves. It's like she can't believe she gets to do this. And your job may not end up like that. In fact, you may end up in the unemployment line. You know, There's no guarantee how that will end up. But the guarantee is... And and again, I come back to this. I promise you that God will walk with you through that every step of the way. Because, uh, again, we're looking at this idea. How do we thrive, not just survive in this upside-down world? It's obedience over security. It's confidence in God over knowing an outcome. So let's jump back into the text and let's wrap this up. But suddenly... Because now they're thrown in the furnace. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego would not bow. They get tied up. Three soldiers throw them into the furnace. And in the text it tells us that the flame was so hot because the king was so mad. He had it turned up even hotter. Seven times hotter. And when that fire had actually leapt out and killed the three soldiers that were throwing Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego into the furnace. And they die from that. Now, a few, uh, we don't know how long this is, a couple of minutes maybe, who knows, but suddenly Nebuchadnezzar jumped up in amazement and he exclaimed to his advisors, didn't we tie up three men and throw them into the furnace? Yes, your majesty, we certainly did, they replied. Look, Nebuchadnezzar shouted, I see four men unbound walking around in the fire unharmed and the fourth looks like a god. See, I told you there's this principle that runs throughout the scripture, both old and new, that whatever fire you are going through, that Jesus promises to walk with you through it. And he will walk with you through your fire. Now, what happens next is the king is like he's blown away and he's, he says, hey, he came as close as he could get to the door of the flaming furnace, and he shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out. And then he says, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stepped out of the fire. And I just love that idea. They just kind of like stepped out like it's just another day, right? They just, they just stepped out like they're stepping out of a, a pool or something, right? 
No, I mean, and if you read the text, you'll see that they get surrounded by everybody who was there. Who was like, oh my gosh, their hair's not singed, their clothing's not burned, and they don't even smell like smoke. I mean, you can't even smoke a cigarette and not smell like smoke. These guys are like in the furnace, and they don't even smell like smoke. And the acknowledgement that Jesus is right there in the middle. Now, for these guys, it ended well. Not only did they continue to lead in Babylon, it says that the king promoted them. Again, the promise for you isn't a promotion. The promise for you isn't a race. But the promise for you is that Jesus promises to hold your hand, to walk with you, to give you enough light, because his word is a lamp unto our feet. He promises you, and you know, that's not seeing the end. He promises you enough light to take the step. And then he promises you enough light to take the next step. And then the next step. That's all he promises you with his presence. And in that, we can breathe a sigh of relief. Saying thank you, Jesus, for being here with us. Will you take out your connection card? If you are online... There's a link for that. If you're in South County, uh, it's on your seat. If you're right here in Cranston, this, the uh, connection card is in the seat in front of you. Just pull that connection card out. There are three next steps I want to walk us through. It says this. The very first one says, I've been caving under the pressure of my circumstances. Pray that I will obey God's word instead of worrying about my security. This is about obedience over security. We want to pray for you. Have you been caving? Will you let us pray? for you and on the part in the connection card give us as much about your circumstances that you want to share and we'll pray as as specific as you allow us to the other next step says i've lost my confidence that god can save me and i'm discouraged and i need to take steps to rebuilding my trust in god and here's what i mean by that because your emotions and your feelings are telling you god where are you and i get that I understand. And what I want you to know is that what we have to do in times like that is we fall back to remember what Psalm 23 says. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I don't have to fear. Why? Because you're there. Your presence is there with me. We just have to fall back onto when Paul said, my grace is sufficient. That's all you need is His grace. And so, instead of letting the emotions get the best of you, won't you let yourself hold on to the truth of God's Word?